You are now listening to Creative Masters. This is the podcast where we interview musicians, photographers, directors, comedians, designers, and other creatives to discuss how they got started, how they got past those bumps in the road, and how they built a career off their creativity. So let's get right into it. I'm your host, and I'm Team Double Machine Masters to bring you Creative Masters. Now let's start the show. What's going on, everybody? This is Reggie, a.k.a. Nobody Famous. You're listening to the Creative Masters Podcast. We're back with a new episode. Before we get into this episode, I just want to touch on a few things. The first thing is that the Creative Masters Podcast is now a year old. I can't believe I've been doing this for a year, talking to a lot of amazing, talented, smart, inspiring people over the last year. I learned a lot. So thank you guys, everybody who's come onto the podcast, everybody who's rated us, submitted beats for background music shared it out and listened. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Just a reminder, I am doing my very first documentary, Tracking Identity. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash tracking identity. It's a really cool story about my friend Simonilla. If you haven't listened to his episode, go back in the archives and listen to that. You'd be deeply inspired by it. I can't wait for you guys to actually see the documentary. I've been working hard on it and it's really cool. So for this episode, episode 32, we have Lauren Chu, an interior designer out of San Francisco. I've actually known Lauren since second grade, so most of my life when we grew up together and we get into a lot of cool things from her creative background to her schooling to what she's doing now. So we talk about how she left her marketing job in San Francisco to start her own design firm. The fear of not having the money (laughs) became less scary than the idea of not doing design. We also get to how important it is to have people around you who are going to tell you the truth about your ideas and support you in your endeavors. Basically what I call my uh, my board, if you will, of, of Studio 2 of just, you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing, what do you think? And people that I know will tell it to me straight. Um, I know that have some experience in things that I don't have. Um, they're the ones that I say, you know, I trust you. If you think this is a bad idea, tell me. (laughs) Then of course we talk about her definition of success and what it means to her. Success to me is being insanely happy doing what I'm doing. We get into these things and so much more on episode 32 of the Creative Masters podcast. So sit back, relax, and be inspired. This is episode 32 with Lauren Chu. What's going on, everybody? This is Reggie, aka Nobody Famous. You're listening to the Creative Masters Podcast. We're back with another episode. This week is a very dope episode because it's someone I've actually known pretty much my entire life. We went to school together, and now she's out in San Francisco doing interior design. She just started her own business. Lauren Chu, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on today, Reggie. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, um, Basically, let's just kind of start at the beginning. How about you give like an elevator speech of who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll kind of dig into the details from there. Sure. Well, um, my name is Lauren, like you said, and I live in San Francisco, and I am an interior designer. I just recently started my own business after being in corporate technology marketing for the last Oh, six years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to school for interior design. I'm trained in it. Um, it's something that while I left it for a little while, um, my passion for it never left. And um, I've just recently, like you mentioned, started my own business called Studio Chew and um, getting back into it. So it's exciting. 
Awesome. That's really dope. So let's start back at the very beginning. Cause like I said, I've known you for a while since what, like second grade or so. I so, believe so. Like yeah. <laughs> yep. So when did you get into um, design? Was that something that you were always into like the arts and stuff? Or was that like later on in life and you went to, you know, you went to college and you're like, Oh, I want to start, you know, designing and things like that. So when was kind of your start, like in your creative space? Well, I was always a creative kid. Uh, you know, my parents are always telling stories about how, uh, you know, we'd go out to the um, to the playground or to the tree in our backyard and just make up these stories and, um, and, and draw and color. And I was always the creative one in our family. Nice. Um, both of my parents are teachers, so they're really used to that world. Um, but they always knew she's a little bit different than us. Um, not really sure where I got it from. Mm-hmm. But um, my grandfather, um, when it comes to interior design, he actually owned a furniture store when I was a kid. Um, and it was a furniture store in a tiny small town. Everyone trusted him for what they needed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was back when furniture was still, you know, all made in the USA must have was still made in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really high quality for, you know, a fairly affordable price point. Um, so he taught me, you know, from a little kid, how, to, to look at quality in furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up around that, uh, loved that environment. Uh, but I kind of forgot how much he taught me when he closed his store down, uh, I believe when we were in middle school mm-hmm. and then, um, in high school, I was actually taking a home economics class and my teacher, her mother was an interior designer okay. and she did a two week unit where we got a, you know, our, our fake house. And we, she taught us how she went through the design process with her clients, how she picked furniture, how she created floor plans, all of the various questions that she asked to get the project started. And that kind of was my light bulb moment. Um, I just dove into that project headfirst and and completed it with so much joy. It almost felt like not working at all. So when we had that you know, two week segment at the end of it, I thought, man, I think this might be something that I'm interested in doing. And this was when I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point I still had really no idea what I wanted to go to college to do. Uh, so I thought, well, <laughs> I think I might have found the thing that's the right fit for me. Uh, so when I got to UGA, uh, I applied to the interior design program there. Um, and I got in, I had no problem getting in, um, after completing the prerequisite courses mm-hmm. and that's how I got into it. That's really cool. What was our uh, home ec teacher's name in high school? I always forget her name, but I loved her. Uh, Mrs. Brock. Yes, that's right. Because I had service learning with her, and I was just thinking about this the other day because myself and a bunch of my friends, we had um, started tutoring kids back then. I was like 17, and that's like half my life now. And you know, and I still work with kids to this day, so it's pretty interesting mm-hmm. how that, that class and that teacher have played a role in, in our lives for sure. Um, so yeah, it only takes one. <laughs> exa- exactly. So let me ask you, what did your parents do when you were young? And there are teachers, like you mentioned, to foster your creativity and to kind of help you grow in that space. One of the things that my parents did is they never uh, tried to uh, put out my creative fire. You mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of parents, um, especially like when I talk to my husband about his family, they really want their kids to be focused on math and science. And especially now with STEM careers being so popular, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think the creative careers get a little bit of, um, a bad rep, <laughs> you know, that they're not as, um, as in demand as mm-hmm. the STEM careers are. So as a kid, even though my parents were a social studies teacher and a science teacher, they never stopped me from being artistic. Uh, when, 
Do you remember when we had, um, there was a summer camp, I can't remember the name of it, but it was one week at one held at one of the local high schools and you, um, you picked two classes that you wanted to go to, uh, you know, and there were very, uh, science oriented ones and there are very math oriented ones, but there were also a lot of creative ones like mm-hmm. photography, um, and advertising and graphic design. And those were always the classes I picked and they fully supported my choice to pick those. So that's how they supported me growing up. And what do you think? Cause you had mentioned that, you know, skills being like creative skills might not be as much in demand as like some of the math or science or computer science skills and things like that. But I even remember back when you had your blog and we would discuss like CSS and HTML, and like you built your own blog and I was always like taking classes and kind of learning myself. What do you think about like learning all of those different creative skills? So photography and graphic design and, you know, CSS, HTML and incorporate into your career? Because even with like your Instagram photos and how you take photos and market your business, like, do you think that all help is helping you now that you've took those classes and experimented with those disciplines? Absolutely. And I think it's good for both of those careers to walk a mile in the other person's shoes. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's really good when a developer takes the time to talk to a graphic designer Mm -hmm. to understand how what the graphic designer does affects what they need to do on the back end. Um, and for the graphic designer to talk to the developer to understand how they need to make their projects, you know, work so that the developer has an easier job. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I definitely learned is that, you know, I have my design skills and I think that they are a God-given talent that I have and then something that I developed further in school. Mm -hmm. But what has got me to where I am today is all of the various disciplines that I've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't have been able to build my website if I hadn't taken a CSS course. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I wouldn't be able to do photography for my designs if I hadn't invested a little bit of time in learning how to use a real camera and editing photos better. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's easy to brush off one or the other and say, Oh, I can just hire somebody to do that. Or, you know, I don't need to learn how to do that, but you do, um, in, in today's job market, especially it's so important to be as (laughs) self-sufficient as you can be. Um, even in my design career now, one of the biggest things that I have to turn in is 3d renderings of rooms and they're all done in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. And if I had never taught myself Photoshop, I would be at the very beginning of that and having to learn how to do all that now Mm -hmm. versus when I have a couple clients, that's a requirement to turn in with the project. It's easy. I can get it done. Um, so if I hadn't taken those classes, I definitely be at a disadvantage in my career right now. Yeah, for sure. I I definitely think it's important to be self-sufficient. And even, you know, over the last like 15 years of my my music career, I was always just like, I need a flyer made or I need an album cover made. So I had -hmm. had to figure out how to do that. So I learned how to do it. And then I needed to chop up a video and edit a video when YouTube came about and do that. And now these are all skills and programs that I actually use like every day in my day to day life. So I mm-hmm. think it's really interesting. And I I've kind of I kind of saw it back in the day once like Instagram and then MySpace got popular and moved to Facebook and Twitter and things like that of how the market was kind of moving towards. You have to kind of at least be able to speak that language so you know mm-hmm. what to look for. And, and even if you are going to hire somebody. So I think that's that's really cool that you took those classes and had the foresight to do that. Um, so let's talk about college. So you, when you went and you majored in interiors, like what was that experience like and what? did that teach you and how did it build upon your foundation with your grandfather and just your background at that point in your life? Yeah. So I think school for interior design is, um, it's really hard and it's also, uh, not enough. Uh, so uh, let me back up a little bit. So I think that 
interior design school, that was one of the hardest things I ever did. We had huge projects that were due every week mm-hmm. and I would spend hours in the studio, um, sometimes till, you know, three and four in the morning doing these hand renderings of floor plans. And this was, this was really back before a lot of the digital tools were used. We mm-hmm. still had AutoCAD for floor plans, uh, but we didn't have anything like SketchUp um, that you can kind of easily create 3D floor plans and renderings and now. Um, so that's all stuff I've had to teach myself outside of school. Um, but it was it was interesting because interior design school really gives you the technical and the informational background. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily teach you the talent of design. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that it certainly c- can be honed on the job. And if you are... Um, you know, outworking, you're certainly going to continue to improve your skill in that respect. But if you don't have a good eye for color, um, you know, a good eye for tones and patterns, um, it's hard to teach someone that. Mm -hmm. And I certainly saw that in school when I had classmates that they were good enough to get into the program. But once they got into the program, they really had a hard time, you know, putting together quality designs. They could Mm -hmm. technically do everything that needed to be done. But it was just missing that special bit of, of making it, you know, something that's nice to look at versus something that's really great and really well designed. Um, so that was, that was interesting to me. It was surprising to me too, because I expected to learn quite a bit more about, you know, how to put together colors and how to, um, how to create these designs, but really it was a highly technical background. Um, I learned, about everything from, you know, electrical planning, you know, outlets, switches, mm-hmm. HVAC. Um, I learned about ADA requirements for um, people with disabilities and creating spaces that are well-functioning for those people. Um, you know, I learned how to render by hand, and then I also learned how to do technical floor plans on um, in AutoCAD. And the bulk of what I learned was that. Um, we had a little bit of, you know, historical um information that they taught us about, you know, this is this style in this period of time, and this is how it influenced design today. Mm -hmm. And then we also had some heavy textile science classes. So one of the things that I always tell people is, you know, I took two years of textile science, so I can tell you just by touching a fabric, whether it's good quality and whether it's going to last. So those are the kinds of things they taught us in school. And let me ask you, because you mentioned like, you know, people that were good enough to get in the program, but when they started Mm -hmm. actually doing it on that level, they were kind of struggling with it. So when it comes to interior design or any just creative space, if someone has the interest in it, if they don't have it at the beginning, do you think that they can learn it over time? And if so, how how do you think they should go about learning it? Sure. So I think that you can teach yourself to have a better eye. Um, It's... It's a lot harder, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, but I think one of the things you can do is is be a sponge, you know, absorb material, um, go to some of the best designers that we have today and look at their websites and how they put things together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, tend to look more at commercially available um, rooms, like, you know, catalogs that they mm-hmm. see. And those are good, but they're also not where someone really lives. You know, they usually occur on a stage. So I always say, you know, look at, look at and experience. If you can go to a show house, Mm -hmm. um, like lots of times they have show houses for charities um, throughout the year. 
And if you can find one in your city and you can find one that some really top quality designers have participated in, um, experiencing what that design feels like in person is a really good way to train yourself to have a a better eye. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think a lot of interior designers too, we we have a a pretty decent eye when we get into school, but it's honed over years and Mm -hmm. years and years of absorbing that material and looking at other designers' work and then trying a lot of stuff on the job site and seeing what works. Yeah, I definitely think you do have to be a sponge and that's with any creative discipline because even like with photography, before I was able to get like a good camera, like probably since 2007 to 2010, 2011, like literally every single day, I would just be like on Tumblr, just scrolling and favoriting like pictures that caught my eye and kind of just making mental notes of like, why did that make me feel this way or that way? Or why does that look cool to me? And then when I finally picked up a camera, I kind of had all of these different influence in my mind to be able to take photos and kind of pick it up a little faster. I think someone who doesn't, you know, kind of research and, and take in different information and influences and things like that. So I think that's really cool. And a very good uh, bit of advice for sure. Um, so let me ask you, after you got out of college, you were working, um, you said, in the marketing space. Like, tell us a little bit about that. And I know you went from like a sales assistant to um, director of marketing. Like, how was that experience for you and what did you learn from that? So when I first got out of college, I actually worked in the design industry. Um, this was in you know, 2005. Mm-hmm. So it was when the economy was riding high, times were good, people had tons of money to throw at projects. Uh, I worked at a luxury furniture showroom, and we sold furniture directly to interior designers, so mm-hmm. to the trade. Um, so that was interesting because instead of you know marketing and, and, and selling stuff directly to the public and being a designer to the public, um, I worked with other interior designers. And I did that for, gosh, six years. Um, over a couple of different companies. And um, and it was great. It gave me a really chance to use what I had learned in interior design and, um, and, and build on it and learn from other designers at the same time. But then 2008 hit mm-hmm. <laughs> and the economy tanked. And since Atlanta was tied so heavily to the financial industry, mm-hmm. people just, money started drying up you know, left and right for projects. And a lot of the people... We were working on, you know, multi-million dollar homes in Atlanta, and a lot of those people were victims of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So the work dried up. This was around the time that social media started coming about, and I had started Facebook and Twitter accounts for the company that I was at. Mm -hmm. Um, I had done a little bit of event marketing with them, and then I had also started a blog on my own. It was my first interior design blog, and I had some success with it. Um, You know, if you were an early adopter during that time. Oh, yeah. You had the benefit. You had the benefit of being one of the first people in that space. It was fairly easy to gain some traction, mm-hmm. and um, I parlayed that success into a new, more stable career at the time um, in startup marketing, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how I got into that. <laughs> um, and then, oh, sorry, okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I said that's that's really cool. And I think that is important to like when something comes along and you can jump in there and kind of be like an early adopter, like you said, it really can create a lot lot of opportunities for you. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, it's okay. So I did that. Um, I, like I said, I got this job. I had never had any official marketing experience. So I had to start as an intern. Um, But over the last five years, I worked my way up from an intern at that company to my last role was director um, of marketing at a $6 million software company. So it was, um, it was interesting because 
uh, it was a total pivot mm-hmm. <laughs> from where, you know, what I went to school to do, what I really loved. And um, I enjoyed it. And I think a lot of what I had taught myself, um, you know, all along the way, being able to do graphic design and being able to, um, you know, really use social media as a business tool, not just as um, something to waste time on, um, you know, being able to build websites, all of that helped me in my career. Mm-hmm. And then in November of last year, uh, my company built a new office and I got to design it. Nice. <laughs> and during that time, I thought, man, I really, really, really am kidding myself. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy my job, but I really miss design. That's mm-hmm. where my heart is at. And, um, that's how I found myself here today. You know, I said, okay, I'm going to take a risk and take a leap and, um, and try and do design full time again. Awesome. And I was going to ask you, that was actually my next question, because you do live in San Francisco. And as we know, mm-hmm. San Francisco is not a cheap place to live. So <laughs> how did you build up the courage to just say, okay, I'm going to follow my passion. I'm going to get back in design and start a business. Uh, I couldn't have done it without the support of my family and my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, the financial side of it is probably the number one thing that, um, that kept me from getting back into it for so long. Um, you know, everybody knows that software careers and technology careers, um, do, you know, fairly well in terms of salary. Mm -hmm. Um, so I knew I'd be switching back away from that and it was definitely scary for me. And it's probably, if I'm being honest, one of the things that kept me from doing design for so long, Mm -hmm. um, is that, you know, I liked my job and I was good at it and I was making good money. Why would I leave? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the traditional thing is like, why would I give that up? Um, but I woke up every day and the more I realized how much I missed design and the further I was away from it, the unhappier I became. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of got to the point where the fear of not having the money <laughs> became less scary than the idea of not doing design. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, reality wise, um, I'm lucky enough that in San Francisco, if you live here, um, and you live in an older building, which most San Francisco residents do, you have rent control. Mm-hmm. So our rent was the same as it was, um, six years ago when we moved here. So that certainly helped because my expenses have been fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, staying out of any financial trouble on my own, um, really all we had to worry do worry about doing was paying the rent, which, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully, um, you know, I talked it over with my husband and it was something that he was willing to take on for a while, um, while I got this started. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I couldn't have done it without him. And I know that I'm very lucky to be in that position to be able to say that. That's really awesome. Yeah. And, and tell us about Studio Chew and what it is you aim to do with it and what are you currently doing with it? Sure. So I um, started it to, um, I thought, I just have to get my brand out there and I have to figure something out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the things that was also keeping me from doing it was, you know, I want it to be perfect and I want it to be a really well thought out brand experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually I said, you know, Lauren, you just got to put something out there. Yeah, <laughs> just, <for sure. laughs> just get it up. Um, you know, I was being my own worst enemy and holding back myself from what I really wanted to do by being too much of a perfectionist. So Um, I threw around a couple ideas. I have a really trusted core group of girlfriends that, um, you know, one of them is in marketing. One of them is a web developer. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them is a, um, a creative consultant and 
I always bounce my ideas off them. So I came up with a couple names, and none of them had my name in it except for Studio Two. Mm-hmm. And one of them told me, you know, if you put your name on something, it means you stand behind it. Yeah. And <laughs> that's how I came up with the name. I said, that's, that's the one that sounds like me. And it represents me and it represents, um, you know, my family and I put my name on it. It's my word. So that's, um, that's how I came up with the name. Um, one of the things that I really aim to do is make good design accessible for everyone. Um, you know, part of the working in the luxury design side of things is I got to see the amazing design that people who have access to the funds to be able to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, are able to have, and sure you might not be able to have a $25,000 dining table, but you can still have a really well thought out home Mm -hmm. filled with pieces that are intentional, um, and pieces that, you know, you can grow with and, um, that don't, uh, fall apart Mm -hmm. after a year. So that's one of the things that I try to do is I try to create, Projects that are budget friendly, um, you know, within reason. This isn't, I always tell people, this isn't trading spaces where I can do your whole house for $1,000 in a day. (laughs) But, um, you know, I really try to make sure that I focus on spending my client's money where where it matters and putting thoughtful design touches into it um, that, you know, are sensitive to trends and their budget. Uh, So that's what I'm doing right now. I have a couple clients that I'm working on their homes. And then I also do freelance work for other companies that need interior designers, but don't bring them on staff um, and just do contract work. Um, So one of the companies that I'm working for is Vacation Rentals. Mm -hmm. Um, They are kind of a cross between an Airbnb and a hotel. Um, They say their local flavor meets hotel comforts. Um, So they're residential units that are, you know, meant to look unique and fit the neighborhood and, um, and fit the city that they're in and be a really kind of design focused experience, kind of like a really good boutique hotel Mm -hmm. for, for their guests, um, with hotel style amenities. So, um, I've been contracting with this company for about a month now and designing some of the units that they have. Um, and that's one of the other big projects that I have going on. That's really cool. And doesn't, um, because I follow Home Polish on Instagram, don't they kind of do something like that where they just bring on designers from like all over the country? So they kind of have like local designers working with people? Are you familiar? Yeah, the, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, the, um, the digital design world is really quickly growing. Uh, you know, I think um, as a designer, you really have to be flexible. I have certainly seen, you know, what's expected of designers um, in terms of um, what they, what kind of product they deliver. Um, what kind of skills they need to have and, um, and what kinds of, um, you know, revenue generation they're able to create really change Mm -hmm. over the last 15 years since I've been doing it. You know, it went from designers used to charge, you know, an hourly fee and then they charged you a commission on top of the items that, um, you purchase from them because usually they were selling you to the trade items. Mm -hmm. Now it's really changed to where, Designers, I think today have a role of being the the guide to creating a really well designed home, and 
your job is to listen to what kind of environment the client wants uh, and then help pick the pieces that tell that story um, and then have the client purchase the pieces from um, from usually mass market places mm-hmm. with a few um, with maybe a few to the trade items or custom items sprinkled in. I, there is definitely on the higher end that's still totally custom design approach. Um, but I think the bulk of design work that's being done today and something that if you're an interior designer, you have to be open to is that model of work um, with a company like Home Polish or um, Havenly or Laurel and Wolf is another big one. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's awesome. And you had said something that uh, really caught my attention. So I want to ask you about it. How important do you think it is when just in life in general, your career, when you're starting a business to have like that core group of people where you can go to and bounce off those ideas. You said you had like a developer, like a creative consultant, things like that. So how important is it to have that group around you so that you can bounce off ideas and and get ideas from them as well? Critical. Um, I really don't know how I would ever make some of the decisions that I've made without bouncing them off of them first. Um, I used to not you know, I had friends, Mm -hmm. but I never created an intentional group of people that was basically what I call my, uh, my board, Mm -hmm. if you will, of, of studio two of just, you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And people that I know will tell it to me straight. Um, I know that have some experience in things that I don't have. Um, they're the ones that I say, you know, I trust you. If you think this is a bad idea, tell me. <laughs> and um, I, I think a lot of people um, don't go about creating that group intentionally. Um, you know, you bounce ideas off your friends and family. But, you know, my, my family, my husband's in um, real estate, and my parents are teachers, and they support me wholeheartedly in everything I do, but they know nothing about <laughs> what I do, and, and can really offer me no input other than, yeah, I think that sounds great, or oh, that looks great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important to surround yourself with people that challenge you. Yeah. And, and, and these, these people do in my life. They challenge me to say, you know, oh, I like that name that you came up with, but what if it was this instead? And I think this sounds better. And, and they really give me a lot to think about. Um, so if you are, you know, especially being an entrepreneur or um, even, you know, thinking about you know, taking a leap into that world, you've got to have that. I, I just call it my personal board of advisors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is important to have people that you can go to that who you can trust, who are going to tell you the truth. Because a lot of times people won't tell you the truth, and then you know you be mm-hmm. out, you get caught out there making the wrong moves and things like that. And then in, you know hindsight might be twenty twenty, but it is always good to have people who's going to tell you up front, so you can kind of make an informed decision based off of that. Um, mm-hmm. So, what would you say to anyone out there? Say there's a kid listening who you know just graduated from college, or there's someone who's listening who's been in their career for ten or fifteen years who's looking to take a leap of faith like you did in their creative field, what would you say to them about going after their dreams? Uh, I would say you have to answer to you. And I, like I mentioned earlier, the fear of, of doing it Mm -hmm. um, became less than the fear of not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always, I always, there's this one quote from like Lewis house, which is, does the, you know, podcast that we both love so mm-hmm. much. And, and he's like, stop getting in your own way. You know, if, if you think that when you put something out there that people are going to criticize it, you're right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody from the most successful person in the world 
to the least successful person in the world gets criticized for what they put out in the world. Mm -hmm. You're never going to put your stuff out there and everybody across the board love it. So just do it. If you are scared to make that leap, just do it. You have to answer to yourself and you have to make yourself happy. Um, and if you're worried about what other people think, if you're worried about leaving, you know, your high paying job behind, if you really want to do it and you're really passionate about it, the success will come because you'll put the work in. Um, but you have to be willing to put in the work. Yeah. You have to do the work. And many times too, the, like the financial troubles or the stress from it, it's far less than like later on in life and having regrets about not going after what you really wanted. Mm -hmm. That's actually what one of my friends on my personal board said. She's like, I think if you don't do design and, and now felt like the right time to do it, she's like, I think if you don't do it at the end of your life, mm -hmm. you're going to be so full of regret that you didn't give this a go because this is what you're meant to do. And that just hit me. I thought I, I started crying and I mm -hmm. said, you're right. Like, I just can't imagine waking up one day and be like, oh, I'm so proud of my technology marketing career. Not that I would, not that I'm not now, but it's not what in my heart I know that I was meant to do. Yeah. So, and you, and you know when something's in your soul, like you can try yeah. to like hide it or like ignore it or whatever. But like, if you know that it's like really, really in your soul, you know that you have to do it. Yeah. Well, even my mother-in-law is um, up in Seattle this past weekend for a family event. And she said, I can tell how much you love what you're doing now because your face, mm -hmm. she's like, you just look happier. You seem lighter, um, you know, when you're here. So mm -hmm. there you go. <laughs> yep. So let's talk about um, a growth mindset. Like you mentioned, we listen to a lot of the same podcasts and read a lot of the same books and things like that. So what are some of the things that you do to um, grow in your career and to grow as a person? So one of the things I started doing to grow as a person um, that trickled into my career was creating a morning routine. Um, and I think you hear that from a lot of successful people that if you don't create a morning routine and if you don't intentionally set some time each morning to start your day off right, um, it all falls apart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I try to do when I wake up uh, is, uh, one, I try to wake up at the same time every day. Um, getting into that has been really transformative for me. I always woke up at the same time when I had my own job, but um, when I had a corporate job, but when I started working on my own, it was really easy to say, well, I don't need to, like I could just, but I've gotten back into waking back up at the same time every day. And what one time of the, is that? I don't mean to interrupt, <laughs> but what time is that? Sure. Um, 6 a.m. Okay. So not, I'm not like a 4.45, I think like you are, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's still very dark in San Francisco at 4.45. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but I wake up at six. Um, and then I take some time to myself. So that's, that's one of the things too. And I had to be, um, really protective of that time and tell my husband, you know, Hey, uh, I love you and I'm not trying to ignore you, but I need this like 30 minutes when I wake up in the morning to have time to be, um, reflective and to improve myself. So the first thing I do when I wake up is I use my five minute journal, which is a tool I'm really, um, passionate about. And I share with everybody mm -hmm. and, the first thing I ask you to do is like, what are the three things that you're thankful for? Mm -hmm. And I think if you can start off each day with, you know, gratitude and, and, you know, taking that view of your world, you're already off to a good start. And then the next thing I ask you to do is like, what are three things that would make today great? Um, so that is the intention piece of it. It's like, how am I intentionally going to 
you know, act today or what's something that I could do that at the end of the day, I'll look back and say, man, that was a good day because I did that. So I use that tool. And then another tool that I really like is, uh, the daily stoic by Ryan holiday, mm-hmm. um, which I know you're a fan of too. <laughs> um, it's really good. I have, when I added that, I, I felt like that challenged me a bit more. Um, you know, I, I, I do read every day, um, you know, some sort of book, but something about adding that sort of daily snippet mm-hmm. of, um, you know, it's based on the Stoics and they look at the Stoics and how they, you know, viewed life and what they learned and the philosophy behind it. And they give you the quote directly from the Stoic, but then they also break it down into like, how does this apply to your mm-hmm. day? Um, and I always get a little nugget from that, that I try and focus on for the day. Um, what I do is I usually write, you know, kind of a loose, um, piece from it on a post-it and <laughs> stick it to the top of my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one of the things that since I added it, I feel like, you know, it really made me take a more kind of complete, uh, bird's eye view of the day versus getting caught up in the details. Um, so it's always one of the things that I'm challenging myself to do is like, okay, what does this look like in the grand, like retrospect of things and not sure. just in this moment? Um, yeah, as a person, I you know, personally like struggled with anxiety and that's one of the things that I'm like, I, I've had to really focus on to make myself better, both in my personal life and at my job. So kind of creating these tools that focus me, that force me to take a step back um, and view things through a different lens have really, uh, you know, transformed me and my career in turn. Yeah. That, that's interesting too. What you, uh, like having that, that routine and even what you said, like about anxiety and stuff. Cause I remember like, I used to like struggle with anxiety as well. And I used to be mm-hmm. like, how can I use this energy in a more positive way? And it was, I just happened to be thinking about it. Like yesterday, it's like, man, like all of the that anxious energy that I used to have, I kind of found a way to channel that into creativity in different ways. And then I think it does come from like looking at it with the bird's eye view and, you know, taking, just looking at the big picture basically and know, and knowing that this mm-hmm. one little incident or whatever is not going to affect like every, like ruin my life or, or whatever the case may be. So I think that's really interesting mm-hmm. that um, you've taken those steps to, to do that and um, incorporate in your everyday life for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the other tools, as far as like career wise, you know, what I've done, um, I love Udemy. I think I said that right. How, that's, how you pronounce it. Um, you know, it's, to, it's amazing to me that you can take a course from like really talented people for like 10 or 15 bucks. Yeah. Um, so I took one, you know, when I wanted to learn how to shoot, um, my camera in manual mode, mm-hmm. um, I, I took a course on Udemy. It was 15 bucks, I think. Um, and I wanted to learn how to do Photoshop a long, long time ago before Udemy even existed. So I always tell people, I feel like I graduated from the Google school of graphic design. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you, and I think you learned yourself that way. You just open it and just try. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was one of the things that I had to learn how to do is like, okay, I don't know how to do this. But I am dedicated to figuring it out no matter what. <laughs> um, and so just being willing, open to, to trying and, and Googling your way to figuring it out or looking for online courses or even, you know, ask, be, not being afraid to ask for help, too. You know, when it came to, you know, web development stuff, I asked one of my friends, I said, can I, can I pick your brain? Would you be willing to at least, like, tell me how you did this one thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as long as you are not taking advantage of the situation, um, and you're approaching it with, um, 
you know, curiosity and, and wanting to learn, not, you know, having them work for you for free. Mm-hmm. Um, most people are willing to help you if, if you'll, um, you know, take the time to build the relationship with them. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that for sure. Um, so here's a question that I ask everybody, every guest that comes onto the podcast. And it seems like back in the day, like the definition of success was, you know, a lot of money, big car, a lot of or big house, you know, car, whatever. And people have been kind of redefining it for themselves. So now that you're starting, you just started your own business and you're branching out as an entrepreneur and everything like that. How do you define success for yourself? Success to me is being insanely happy doing what I'm doing. Um, and not necessarily in the monotony of the day to day, but when I look at the outward trajectory of, of what I'm doing and being fulfilled, um, you know, putting out work that I believe in, um, that to me is success. I think if you're doing that, the money and all that other stuff, it comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, like you said, it, it's wrong to be focused on if money is your end goal, you're out, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so success to me is just loving what I do, believing in the work. Um, for me personally, in the career that I'm in now, it's creating spaces that people love to come home to. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, there's nothing like the feeling of coming in after a long day, uh, you know, hard work, maybe you sat in traffic for an hour to get home and you come in and you just kick off your shoes and your home is just, oh, like, that's what I always want my, <laughs> my clients to feel like when they come in, like, this is just me. Like, I just love everything in the space. It's, you know, tells my story. It's comfortable. Um, it's exactly what I picture when I think of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that to me is success. If I'm helping people achieve that, then I'm doing my job right. Definitely. And I, I totally agree. That, that's really great. Uh, so first of all, thank you for coming on to the podcast and sharing your story. And it was also great catching up with you as well. And um, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you at your website, your you know social media sites and everything like that. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Studio Chu, C-H-U. Um, you can find me on Twitter, also at Studio Chu. And my website is studio-chu.com. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. And everybody who's listening, this is the Creative Masters Podcast. I'm Reggie. Until next episode, peace. So there you have it. That was episode 32 of the Creative Masters podcast featuring Lauren Chu. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to follow her on social media sites. And if you're looking for an interior designer, definitely reach out. As usual, we can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. So please subscribe, rate us, share our episodes. We greatly appreciate it. Until next week, this is Nobody Famous. Peace.